One thing I've asked of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Who is it that you seek? Help me out. We seek the Lord our God. Do you seek him with all your heart? Do you seek him with all your soul? You seek him with all your mind. You seek him with all your strength. You may be seated. Seeking. Seeking is what sums up the Christmas season. So consider this statement. What you seek is what you find in life. What you seek is what you find. Is that true? What you seek is what you find. So when we come to the Christmas season, it is a season unlike any other Christian season because it is a season of seeking, of looking, of watching, of waiting for the light. And Christmas time clears up a few things for us, doesn't it? What we do during the Christmas season, without a doubt, will bring us hope and happiness and joy. And we are seeking those things, certainly, right? We are seeking pleasure. It is a good season. It's a fun season. It's a wonderful season. And in our culture, we give gifts to each other, each other because we give gifts to bring pleasure to each other and to others. Children and adults alike hope that they receive that one special desired gift. If you haven't made your list, you need to get on it. That new smartphone, that really cool high-dollar expensive jacket, that useful power tool, mud flaps, things like that. Retail owners, they got their dreams and hopes too. They're hoping you'll move them into the black this season. Economists expect, you know, that you're supposed to make the whole world go around by buying all this stuff and making things happen. Churches hope that busy shoppers then remember the reason for the season, and that is our Savior, Jesus Christ. What do you seek this Christmas season? Is, are you in a good place? Or are you in a bad place? Are you at the bottom of life? Or are you at the top of life? This is the season to reflect on that. And if you're at the bottom, maybe you're looking for a new job. Maybe you can't make ends meet. Maybe you're looking for a new relationship. Trying to get back on solid ground. Maybe you're just um, wanting a healthier body. It's been a hard year dealing with pain and illness. And if you're at the top of life, then it would be the season to just simply say, God Almighty, I just need to recognize that everything is just going fine. It's good. And give credit to where credit's due. Because we have to recognize this scripture from the New Testament. Do not be deceived, my beloved, says James. Every generous act of giving, every act of giving, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Every gift comes from God. Think about it. The gift you give to somebody else came from God. What you seek is what you find. And therefore, it becomes very important to find out just exactly what we're going to seek over the next four weeks. 
Because Jesus often asked people, it's one of his most common things, and we don't run right past it. He often asked people, what do you want? What do you want me to do for you? What are you seeking? What are you looking for? Sometimes it's so obvious. He asks a blind man, what do you want? He says, I want to see. He asks a lame man, what do you want? You want to walk? Yes, I want to walk. And a rich man comes to him and says, what can I do? And Jesus says, well, I think I know what you're seeking. You need to sell everything you have and come follow me. That didn't work out. And then two of his closest disciples, James and John, they were seeking power and prestige and position. So Jesus often engaged with people just like us on what they want and what they're seeking. Because what you seek is what you find. What do you seek this Christmas? Will we just go through the motions of the holidays, just try and get through it? Spending, running around, standing in line, decorating, cooking? Or will we seek out God? Will it be a spiritual journey or will it simply be a box that we check off near the end of the month? This is our challenge. The journey of of Christmas then naturally begins with the most obvious thing that we're all going to do this season, which is give gifts. We begin with giving gifts. The first gift was given that is given to us is the gift by God. This is the whole reason for the season. The gift is Jesus Christ. God started this whole gift-giving thing. The gift given to us is Jesus. Will we seek out God's gift? You know, I, I wish our spiritual journeys were as easy as shopping. Because we are all in America, in our culture, in our generation, we are professional shoppers. I mean, you can get online, and you can research, and you can get your ads out. And you, we all are consummate shoppers. I wish spirituality was that easy in order to find God. Because, you know, um, it'd be really an easy thing to do is to come to find the gift of Christ during this time. You know, by the way, that uh, you were supposed to get 55% of, uh, of you were supposed to get all your shopping done this weekend, right? I mean, all totally done for the season. 55, over half the country gets their shopping done this weekend. And then the 45 of the rest of us are going to wait till about the 24th or something like that. So let's just see it. Show of hands. Who got all their shopping done? Now, I know you got a few hours left this weekend, but yeah, this is about the same as first service. You know, there's a couple of people and the rest of us feel bad. Okay, so just get over it because we're at Lakeland. Obviously, we're just waiting for something. I have no idea what, but I'm waiting until the very end. I don't care what you say. Um, and by the way, you're also supposed to spend, according to the forecast, was you're supposed to spend $646 per family this season. And some of you are thinking like, where do those people get that kind of money? You know, and, and, the, and then some of you are thinking like, I wish it was only $600, you know. Like, and then you got to buy gifts for people. You, well, let's just stop there. Um, <laughs> but let's consider then this spiritual truth as we seek after God and in this difficulty. Let's consider this. We give because God first gave. We are givers and we enjoy giving because it's within our DNA, or we should actually say within our soul. It's within our image of God, reason why we like to give. We give because it is a part of our nature to give, our God image. The spark of the divine within says, give, and we find it pleasurable and enjoyable. We imitate God like good children when we give gifts. God gives us, gives us himself in Jesus. He gives us himself 
in the gift of the Holy Spirit. We call it the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is God's presence in our lives, in our world. So when we give gifts at Christmas, it's not just about moving the nation's economy into the black once again. It's far deeper and more theological than that. It is about becoming like God when we give. Every generous act of giving, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Every gift. And this is why St. Nick, you know, Nicholas makes perfect sense. Santa Claus makes sense. It, would, it makes perfect sense that we would have an icon, that we'd have an individual, a saint, that sums up the whole idea of giving. It's perfect for the season, yeah? So we're doing this thing, right? Right here's an icon, like an image of St. Nicholas. And this tells a little story about St. Nicholas. And down here are children, and there's money falling through the desert. And it kind of is a ripoff on sort of the old classic uh, icons from the Middle East. And so let me tell you the story of St. Nick, in case you never got it down. And uh, by the way, it's actually kind of fun to go out and search for traditions of Bishop Nicholas because there's so many different stories and legends out there that it's entertaining to even try and put them all together. But this is about the closest, most conservative one you can come up with. The legend has it that in the town of Myra in Syria, that's north of Israel, modern-day Israel, there was a poor family, and this poor man had three daughters, and they were being courted for marriage, but they would not be able to get married because they had no dowries. They were too poor. And in that day and age, when a young woman, and we're talking teenagers, younger than teenagers, when they had no dowry, they were then destined for a life of lechery. In other words, sexual exploitation and begging. So they were put out on the street. It's not a good scenario. All right? Nicholas, Bishop Nicholas, took it upon himself to anonymously slip bags of gold gold coins, into their stockings as they hung outside one night to dry. Nicholas then rescued these poor, three disadvantaged children, basically, young teenagers, from a life of poverty and prostitution and possibly even being sold into slavery. As a result, Nicholas became the patron saint of children. And if you're new around here, you'll realize real quick that we are pretty big on children and none other than this particular Sunday of all Sundays of the year, how big we are on children with everything that's going on around here this morning, which we'll even say a little bit more about. So then Nicholas died on December 6th in the year 345 AD. So December 6th is really the real Santa Claus day and uh, the traditions for the next thousand years after that, really, is that you gave gifts on St. Nicholas Day, which is December 6th, not on December 25th. On December 25th, you simply went to church and worshiped God for the birth of the Savior, and it was really sort of a lesser holiday, no big deal. But the big holiday was December 6th. That was the big gift-giving holiday, which would be this Friday. The legend of Nicholas really is mostly ignored until 1087. And in 1087... Some greedy Italian sailors took off for the Middle East. This is kind of back during the Crusades time. They went to um, Myra and basically cajoled and begged and just outright stole the bones of St. Nicholas, the relics, because they could take them home and sell them and charge admission fees and make a ton of money off of relics in those days, okay? Like a little bit of a finger or something like that. It's kind of weird, but hey, that's what they did. 
Well, that, the, the Nicholas's bones, his relics, went to Bari, Italy. And that's where they still are today. Okay? Soon then, the legend of Nicholas, by the time it gets to Western Europe, the, the legend of Nicholas begins to spread throughout all of Europe. And during the 16th century, during the Protestant Reformation, Germany wanted to refocus away from all these legends and so forth and get back to the purity of the Christ child during Christmas and get away from all these traditions of the church. And so they began to refocus then uh, the, the idea of Christ. And so you begin to get this combination of St. Nicholas and Christ because everyone was already pretty well down with the whole Santa Claus thing going on. But they combine the two and you end up with Kris Kringle or the Christ Kringling, okay? And the Dutch tradition is what America received when the Dutch came to this country over the next few hundred years. And St. Nicholas then is called Sinderklaas in Dutch. And that's where we get our language of Santa Claus, okay? Now, uh, the, the Dutch then, during on December 6th, what they would do is they would put nuts in, you know, like edible nuts, into the Dutch kids' wooden shoes. Mostly because Dutch people are extremely tight and cheap and they could only want to put nuts in kids' shoes. Like, what nuts? Like, what kid wants nuts? Like, that's not fun. You know, where's the candy or something like that? Anyway, so that's my own commentary. Um, all these traditions come and they kind of wander around and Christmas isn't really all that big of a deal until 1822 when a young Christian seminarian seminarian, a, a man studying for the ministry, wrote a poem for his children. And it begins, "'Twas the night before Christmas." And our modern-day Christmas is really from 1822. And Santa Claus, with the red suit and all that, of course, began with Coca-Cola, as most of us know. <laughs> so, welcome to the crass materialism of the holiday. I hope you get your kids something for Christmas. I hope you grandparents and aunts and uncles, like I have to even tell you this, you know, get, get the kids something. Get the children around you. I, I hope you do this because when you do this, you imitate God. You imitate Saint Nick. You are being Bishop Nicholas to your little world around you. This is the spirit of Christmas. This is the spirit of Christmas. And Nicholas is only trying to imitate God. We do well to imitate him and imitate God by giving gifts. There are three simple areas where we give gifts we give to the poor. We give to each other, and we give to God. We give to the poor. When we give to the poor, we are giving just like Jesus. Jesus came to us poor sinners, and he gave to us. He gave us eternal life. He gave us grace. He gave us, gave us mercy. He gave gifts of healing, of sight, of walking, of redemption and forgiveness, of release from oppression, from demonic attack. Gave away everything he had, including his own life, for people like us. Jesus, like God, is a tremendous giver. So when you walk by the red buckets at the grocery store or in the mall, then chuck not just your change, chuck the bills in there. Right? Because you're imitating God when you do that. It's not just charity. It is a theological statement. And when you leave here and you see this Christmas tree that's right in your way, very intentionally, so all of you walking out like, who decided to put this Christmas tree here right in the middle of the path? Like, we did! It's so you run into it. And when you take things off of there and then you buy them and then you bring them back, it goes down to the inner city to help our neighbors in the inner city. These kids are trying to get, you know, a leg up. 
If your kid can read with the time they're going into kindergarten, you have a very special child. Because the kids in your city never get read to them for the most part. They show up in kindergarten without knowing their alphabet. When we buy things on that tree and return it, we are helping our neighbor. And that helps our local economy. If not our own safety and peace and the lives of others. And when you go out in the lobby, and we're going to give you a little extra time to do this. When you go out in the lobby and you go out to the Global Orphan Exchange out there, you'll find pajamas like Sarah was wearing up here and stuff. Like, God, couldn't the girl put some pants on and come to church? Like, she's wearing them as an example, you know. Because you might want to go out and buy some of those too. And all sorts of other things out there. Paula Cole designed stuff. I guess it's supposed to mean something. Um, it means something to my daughter anyway. Um, and when you give gifts to Prodeo that works with at-risk students right here in Lee Summit, you're imitating God. Every time we give a gift to the poor, to the disadvantaged, to the at-risk, we are imitating God, imitating Jesus. It is the right thing to do. And I'm like, this is really easy to tell you guys because we're all going to do this sort of thing anyway. I'm just trying to give you the theological underpinning for it. Secondly, then, when we give gifts to each other, and that's the second gift we give. We give to the poor, we give to each other, and we give to God. When we give gifts to each other, every time you give to each other, so this is thick, so hold on here. Every time you give to each other, you are engaging in a deep theological covenant that is called love. It is called love. Because when you give something to someone, it requires this holy Deep humiliation. That is a positive. Everyone, as Richard Rohr said, Father Richard Rohr said, everyone should have one great humiliation every day. Something that puts you in your place and tells you, I am not God. <laughs> when you give a gift to somebody else in your family or whatever you have going on there, you are experiencing a holy humiliation in life. It is good for your soul. We all know that love requires a humiliation because, guys, if you ever get the courage up to buy the ring and try and give it to the girl, you know there is a possibility she may say no. Now, that's a humiliation. It's a humiliation even if she says yes because you have emptied yourself before another human being. We also know how this humiliation thing doesn't work because when married couples get old and crusty and they stop saying I love you to each other, it's because they don't want to experience the humiliation. They get prideful. They know it requires humiliation to say I love you, and they don't want to do it. You have to die to self. And that's what a humiliation is. It's a small death where you say, I am not God. I am not God. To this day, uh, well, actually it was just to this day this morning, in my office at home was this little post-it note stuck to the wall. And I know you can't see it, but there's some little scribbles on it. And on the back is the little word, Mia, my daughter. And one day I was in there working away, studying, and she came flying in there on her little tiny legs and took this with some tape and stuck it to the wall and ran out giggling. Because she gave me a gift, it caused her a great humiliation, and she knew it, and it caused, caused her to have a great joy, 
And this little post-it note is one of my precious gifts. I wouldn't trade it for anything. Now, if you want to get me a new iPhone 5, I'm not going to turn it down. But <laughs> There's another side to gift giving when we give to each other. Because the person who receives the gift is now obligated to gratitude. The giver experiences humiliation. The receiver experiences gratitude. It's an obligation toward gratitude. And you know when you're a giver and somebody doesn't appreciate the gift you give them, that it makes you rather angry and indignant. You're like, really? Because the contract then doesn't work. The covenant breaks down. The covenant of love. Because the covenant of love is, is the giver experiences humiliation and the receiver experiences gratitude. And that's the way it's supposed to work in a healthy love relationship. And every time we give gifts, we reaffirm this covenant of love that happens in the giving of the gift. And that's what Christmas is all about when God gives us the gift of Christ. It's a covenant of love. And we are humiliated and God is very always grateful for us when we respond. So this third gift is to give to God. And that gift to God is just simply you and me. <laughs> we don't have anything else to offer, really. He doesn't need anything else from us except us. It's the one thing we have. Which, by the way, you were never yours in the first place. You always belong to God. God gave you everything. He gives you your next heartbeat, your next breath. You can't control anything about that, no matter what you think. And what you're supposed to do is give God's own possession, you, back to him in pretty good working order. I mean, okay, so you're going to eat some bacon every now and then. But other than that, you know, you want to try and give yourself back to God as best you can. The best you is one that worships God. And what better way to prepare your heart is during the next four weeks to worship him through Advent. To worship him through Advent. When we do Advent over the next four weeks, you prepare him room. All of the Christmas carols we sing, almost all of them are about a coming. It's an anticipation. It builds suspense. It's supposed to. It makes us Godward. We, we turn our eyes upon Jesus and we look full into his wonderful face. And, and the things of this earth, they grow strangely dim. And, and, and in the light, in the light of glory and his grace. That's where we arrive. That's what the, the four weeks proceeding up to Christmas are supposed to be all about. Preparing you as a gift back to God and the world around us and the poor and each other and our children. So if you don't lean into Advent, you miss out and Christmas becomes just another big check mark. Advent returns us back to the story that we were born into. It reminds us of who we're supposed to be. Oh, yeah. I'm in the big God drama. That's the point of my life. That's what Christmas does. This is why around Lakeland we've made such a big deal over the last few years about these, um, these uh, Advent wreaths. Can I get those, Leslie? Um, and... Uh, this is why we made such a big deal about 
this Advent kit and this wreath that you'll see when you walk out there is like, um, it's big time stuff. And I'll explain more about it in just a, a moment. Um, because these are tools that the church is trying to help you figure out how to lean into Advent and you don't have to be some sort of spiritual giant or guru to do this stuff. It's all spelled out for you. You don't even have to know the books of the Bible to do this stuff. It's easy. Very, very easy stuff to do. You see, everyone, what you seek is what you find. The journey is the destination. Advent is Christmas. Advent is Christmas. The journey is the destination. What you seek is what you'll find. And if you begin now to seek after Christmas through Advent, you arrive at Christmas naturally. The journey is the destination. Advent is Christmas. You get it? This is how we give ourselves back to God. It is the one gift we can give. Okay, so traditionally it'd be on Sunday night. You'd gather your family, your friends, or, you know, whatever you want to do. And this is the guide. It changes every year. It's rolled up here. And um, so if you want to use last year's, it really wouldn't work because you wouldn't be synced up with what we're doing around here. Now, the wreath and all of that, you could use last year's. But if you want the new, cool, and improved one then you'll want this one. And by the way, it is quite an improvement because uh, Ashley Leahy went out and found a real metal one and all this stuff and before we kind of cobbled something together. But this year, legit. And then you'll also want to pick up enough of these little battery-operated tea lights. They're not candles. They're stars because it's watch for the light. So it's stars. Okay. And um, so you want to get enough of those for one for everybody in the family. And then you lay the whole thing out on the table and put it together. And like it says, there's a little bit of prep work doing that sort of thing. And that should get you through the time. So we have a very busy morning. And uh, between the Hope Center tree back there, the Global Orphan Exchange out there, picking up your Advent stuff, and we got a lot of things. It's a buzzy morning. And you might just move up to that 55% group, you know, get a lot of your Christmas shopping done here, like Cindy said earlier, if you can pick up a few things like that, okay? So... That's what we have. So uh, when I'm releasing you here just a few minutes, uh, not that much early, so but don't run off and get your kids because they're probably not finished with the program. Mill around out there and get a latte or something. Okay, stand with me, please. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Go in the peace of the Lord.